Thanks for listening to the Inner Life Podcast. Be sure to join us every weekday at 11 a.m. Central on Relevant Radio or on the Relevant Radio app. Find your local Relevant Radio station at RelevantRadio.com or stream us live every day on the Relevant Radio app. It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Hello and welcome once again to The Inner Life here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm Josh Raymond and uh, I hope you are having a good Wednesday. So are you a spender or are you a saver? When you get your paycheck, do you automatically want to set aside as much as possible or are you excited to go out and buy something right away? Some new article of clothing or maybe go out for dinner. It takes discipline. It takes restraint to hold off spending when you get paid. My sister, Crystal, she built her own business around helping people budget their money when they weren't able to exercise that kind of self-control. She started this bookkeeping business for a few people that needed that kind of help. And she was initially just working out of a spare bedroom in her house. And the business grew into several clients, several customers throughout the years. But it really started out very simple. Crystal had her first couple of clients, and she said, bring in everything, everything related to your finances. And when they did, when she looked at it, she said, oh, it was a mess. These individuals, they were spending without keeping track of anything. They had enough money for everything they needed, but because they didn't take the time to make that record, you know, have that accounting of what they spent, they would routinely overspend. So then they'd end up owing extra on different bills or bills hadn't been paid or they were charging things on credit cards. Crystal, she started with a very basic system for these first couple of people that she was helping. And they gave her control of all of their finances. They knew that they needed that kind of help, some serious help. So Crystal, she was given that trust of being in charge of all of their money each month. Now, this was before the use of debit cards and electronic bill pay and that sort of thing. This was when people primarily paid for things with cash or with paper checks. And Crystal, she gave these individuals that she was helping, gave them some different envelopes with cash in them. And maybe you've done this kind of system for yourself in the past, where you designate a certain amount of money for each category that you spend uh, and that amount of money, it goes into each respective or each appropriate envelope. And once the money is gone, once it's out of that envelope, you don't have any more to spend. And you don't. You don't spend any more for that category until your next paycheck. And it worked for these people. Crystal's business, it grew and grew basically by word of mouth. Clients who had watched their financial situation transform because of Crystal's help, they would tell friends, they'd tell acquaintances, and this would bring new customers to Crystal and it, it was really amazing to me to see all of these different people who would just hand over control of pretty much everything related to their income and their finances, give it over to Crystal's control. 
But then she would take what was given to her and get everything organized and make their money stretch further and do more for them than they ever could on their own. Now, that's a lot of trust, giving someone complete control of everything like that. Do you think you could do that? Do, you know, if, they, if that person is really trustworthy, it could mean good things for you. If they're not, <laughs> it might mean some bad things in your future. But I also find it amazing that God, he does this same sort of thing with us. He gives us so much. In fact, everything, everything that we have, our gifts, our talents, our intellect, everything that we have, it's all given to us by God. And he allows us to have that control over so much. Yet, you and I, we can act as if everything that is given to us by God, it really is ours to begin with. In fact, when you donate in the offering basket at church, what's the attitude that you have? I think it's pretty natural for us to have this attitude, this mindset that, well, I'm giving to God out of what I have or what I own. But we really need to have a different mindset. We need to think of our offerings and our donations as us not giving to God out of what we own, but giving back to God of everything that he's entrusted to us, to you, to me. Well, today on The Inner Life, we want to look at the idea of stewardship. We want to discuss the overarching mindset that we should all have of being stewards, of being caretakers of everything that we have, all the blessings with which God has bestowed upon us. And joining us as our spiritual director today, Father Jim Goins is with us once again. He is a priest in the Archdiocese of Oklahoma City. He's the pastor of St. Eugene's Parish there in Oklahoma City. Father Jim, welcome back to The Inner Life. So glad to have you here today. Hey, good morning, and happy Feast of St. Matthew to you. Yes, it is a great day. And, you know, that's one of the reasons we wanted to talk about stewardship, you know, today being the Feast of St. Matthew, one of Jesus's apostles. He was a tax collector, someone familiar with finances, but he was originally collecting money for Rome, the occupying government there in Israel. And so maybe before we get into, you know, more into the, the actual practice of stewardship, can you give us a little background on what we know about Matthew before and after he encountered Jesus? I think his conversion is one of the most dramatic in the Gospels. And of course, as you probably know, the Romans would set the amount of money that they wanted from the province, and a corporation would be formed, and the corporation would give Rome the money, and then their profit would be what they could collect above and beyond that. And then they contracted with tax collectors like Matthew, and then what the tax collector then could collect above and beyond what the corporation wanted was his salary. So tax collectors were hated for good reason. They would take your last dime. I mean, they would take the last of your poor mother's money because they needed or thought they needed to collect their salary. So they were considered, you know, public sinners, outcasts for a very good reason. And note, notice that the disciples did not allow Matthew 
to keep the money bag. I think that's an interesting yeah, that is. <laughs> insight. Although I wonder sometimes if Matthew, when he walked away, literally walks away from that life, maybe then he was done with it and would not have even wanted to yeah. have kept that's such a good money point. bag. Yeah. yeah. Well, and as you're talking about that, you know, there's two there's two tax collectors that stand out in the Gospels. And you said with Matthew, we have one of the most dramatic conversion experiences there. And I think it's just as dramatic with the other tax collector, Zacchaeus. With Zacchaeus. Yeah, right. where he ends up, he just wants to see Jesus, can't see him over the crowd. And Jesus says, you know, come down from the tree where he's up there trying to perch and watch Jesus and, you know, go through the crowd. I'm going to stay at your house today. And then... Where Zacchaeus, just that one encounter with Jesus, it becomes, I'm going to give half of everything I own, I'm going to give it to the poor, and if I've extorted anything from anyone, and that's probably a lot, he says, I'm going to repay it four times over. So the the two tax collectors, which would have been most likely hated by all the other Israelites, because as you said, exactly. they're gathering exactly. as much as they can for themselves. They don't really care about their fellow uh, Jew, their fellow uh, you know countrymen. They're they're a stooge of the occupying government there. But then, I mean, Zacchaeus might have been at that point, basically saying, "It's okay. I'm going to be destitute." And that's all right, because my life has been changed by this encounter with Christ. I like the way he phrased that, if I have cheated or extorted. And you know they began to line up at that point, Uh because, yeah, he did. He would have. As a tax collector, he would have. But think of it, these two men that the Lord is able to bring into the light simply by his presence, the presence of Christ. You know, when we encounter him in the Eucharist, it is that same power. His mere presence is enough to call us out of darkness into light. So what do we know about Matthew after his conversion? Obviously one of the four gospel writers traditionally, but what else can you tell us about St. Matthew? Well, we know that he was martyred. Uh, he was one of the the disciples who was martyred for the cause. Um, not, you know, not a whole lot known of the details, but his gospel, of course, is the crowning achievement of of his life. And his his gospel, my understanding is really has a focus for the Hebrew people, that he's really right, giving a lot of inf- identity. Right, exactly. yeah, yeah. That, that's, you know, where you have that lineage at the very beginning of the gospel. You have the fulfillment of the steward of the Davidic kingdom, where Jesus gives Peter the keys to the kingdom. There's so much that speaks to uh, an Israelite mentality that they would have seen that fulfillment of Jesus as the true Messiah. So certainly one of the apostles for the Jewish people, and that branch of Christianity that sadly all but died out after the Jewish rebellion in A.D. 70, but Matthew's community would have been these faithful 
Israelites who have taken on this new identity as followers of the way, you know, followers of, of Christ. Well, and so today we want to look at Matthew's example, where he really just says, you know, I'm, I'm willing to follow you, Christ, but also that idea of I no longer need the material comforts of the world. I'm happy to be just in your presence. And I think that's a really good starting point for us as we look at this concept of stewardship. Because if we are attached to the things of the world, it's going to be really hard then to say, well, it's all yours anyway, God. It's it's not mine. Uh, if we have those attachments, we want to say, no, 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 it's mine. It's mine. It's mine. <laughs> stay, stay back. Don't take from me. I was struck by your opening comments when you were talking about that realization that it's not ours. And the whole word stewardship goes back to that biblical concept. The steward, it was not his money. The steward was caring for the master's property, the master's money. And if we are true stewards, we must realize that we are caring for the Lord's gifts, gifts that he has given us for a purpose. They're not ours, but they are given to us to use in this world to glorify him. You know, we also had this past Sunday a reading about a steward, and it was such an interesting—it's one of those, I think you have to spend a little time kind of considering what is really happening here in this parable that Jesus is is talking about, because Jesus gives praise to this steward who is dishonest. And maybe for for just a moment, you can kind of talk about that uh, that we heard this past Sunday— and what is Jesus really drawing out from that, that parable there? Because when we think of stewardship, we think of somebody who should be trustworthy. Jesus says this is somebody who absolutely was not trustworthy. And yet the owner, the, the master of this steward, he at the end says, you know, it, it, Jesus says he command, it commends that dishonest steward for acting prudently. Yeah, the wiliness of that guy is is praised. One theory on that parable, which I find fascinating, is that the master was loaning money, basically. Usury Mm -hmm. was against the religious law. How they would try to get around it is that they they would loan you the value in wheat or oil. And so this wily steward who was probably, you know, adding, tacking on things to the invoice for his own gain, but he also erased the the unethical profit that his master was going to collect. And then the master realize, realizes that, okay, you know, I can't really say anything or I will expose myself for practicing usury. So this wily steward who is dishonest, but he's smart. You know, he's smart in the ways of the world. And the Lord praises the the intelligence and, you know, and his lament that the children of light are sometimes 
not very smart in the way that we use the things of the world, mm. whereas the children of darkness often are very clever. Yeah. So I think that's what he's asking us to emulate. And he uses this example, and it's a very difficult parable because the master is not God, is not right. Jesus. <laughs> and the steward is not, you know, the faithful disciple. It's a parable in which your whole world kind of gets turned upside down. That's why it's so brilliant. It's a brilliant parable. Well, and then it comes to that end, you know, where Jesus says you can't serve two masters. And basically, you can't serve God and and riches both. And that comes back to that idea of detachment. And, you know, another place where we, we see that detachment is where that widow comes forward. And this is where Jesus, he and his disciples are there at the temple. They're sitting opposite the treasury. And all these rich people are coming through and putting in all this large, these large amounts of money. And then this poor widow, she comes through, puts in two small coins. And this is where Jesus says to his disciples, look, look at this woman. And this really also, you know, talks about, I, I, think, I think it ties in so nicely with Matthew. He just immediately leaves the table where he's collecting taxes, has no thought of, you know, my, my well-being for the future. And, and, you know, I don't think we look at, at either of these and say that we should be foolish in right. planning ahead. But at the same time, that God, if you are calling me to follow after you, if you are calling me to be part of your work, I really have to trust that you are going to provide for me. Now, that might be providing for me with a job in an office or, you know, working in some sort of, uh, you know, technical or vocational field where I'm going to have that regular, you know, weekly or monthly income. But at the same time, recognizing that this is you who are providing this, not me doing it out of my own. I love that image of the widow and what she gives. I love the fact that this is an icon of trust in God. I mean, her capacity to trust God to care for her is enormous. And the other thing I love about that, that moment in the gospel, is that we, we're confronted with the fact that she gives out of her poverty. Most people will say, oh, if I win the lottery, you know, I'm going to give and give and give. Well, why wait to give when you're wealthy? Learn to give when you're poor, and then you will be given more. You know, if we prove trustworthy in small matters, the Lord says that we will be given more to manage. So I think it's important for people to learn to give in their poverty. When you are poor, when you're struggling month to month, that's the time to learn how to tithe, how to manage your money, how to trust in God. Um, I think that's a very important lesson. Our spiritual director here on The Inner Life Today, Father Jim Goins, he's a priest in the Archdiocese of Oklahoma City, and today we're talking about how we can be those good stewards, 
trusting in God uh, as he has given us everything that we have? And what has helped you to trust in God and offer him everything that you have in your life? Maybe that's a struggle for you. Maybe that's something you want to do, but it seems difficult and you'd like some advice, some insight. You're welcome to call in and speak with Father Jim Goins, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149, or you can email us, innerlife at relevantradio.com. We'll be back with our conversation in just a moment here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Today, we'd like to thank Adam, who's listening in Pennsylvania, for donating his Toyota. Join in with thousands of other listeners to donate your old vehicle by visiting relevantradio.com slash car. Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. I'm Josh Raymond. Today I'm speaking with Father Jim Goins, a priest in the Archdiocese of Oklahoma City, pastor of St. Eugene's Parish there in Oklahoma City, also inviting your phone calls as we talk about stewardship today. What does it mean to be that steward of everything that God has given you? And I, I mean everything. That's what we're talking about here today. And how have you been able to give back to God out of what he has given to you, out of the blessings that he's bestowed upon you? When have you maybe given financially to the church, your parish, even if it stretches you? And then how have you seen God provide and take care of you after giving to his work? How is donating to the church or to other apostolates, other ministries, how has that helped you to trust more in God? 888-914-9149 is the number to call in and join the program. 888-914-9149. Uh, Father, that concept of trusting God, um, you know, especially being able to give, as you were talking about right before the break, give when we find ourselves not necessarily having very much. And as you were talking about that, it reminded me of the story, this is where the prophet Elijah, he goes uh, into... Zarephath. And in this city, he encounters a widow and asks her to help bring some food for him. And she explains, I only have enough basically to make this one last little meal, just a couple of little pieces of bread for my son and I. And I was going to prepare that. And then after that, basically, we have nothing. We're going to die. We're going to starve to death. And then Elijah, he says, no, that's all right. Go ahead, do as you've you know said that you're going to do, but just make me a little something first and bring it to me. And then after that, I, I, it's, it's amazing, there is this line uh, that Elijah says, For the Lord, the God of Israel, says, The jar of flour shall not go empty, nor the jug of oil run dry until the day when the Lord sends rain upon the earth, because they're in this famine. And then, sure enough, that's what happens. God provides miraculously for them. And a lot of times I think we look for miracles, but there are so many times where God just provides in the ordinary circumstances of life, um, you know, that, that if we trust, if we give to what God wants to happen, if he says, please trust me and give to me in this way, then he's going to make sure that we're okay as his children. Exactly, exactly. I love that story. You know, the prophet's on the run. He's running from Ahab and Jezebel. And this is a pagan town. This is pagan territory. 
This widow does not even share the faith with Elijah, and yet there's something about his promise, his demeanor, you know, and she trusts in this foreigner and a foreign god, and the living God saves her, um, and that, yeah, the, the jar never went empty. That's a beautiful image of stewardship there. Uh, you know, I, I I once had a conversation with, uh, she ended up having to leave the Missionaries of Charity for health reasons, but she was a sister with the Missionaries of Charity and uh, had worked with Mother Teresa here in the U.S. when she had come to visit. And one thing, I, I've probably heard this woman say all kinds of different things about her encounter with Mother Teresa, but one line stuck out to me. She said, you know, honestly, all you really need in life is a bar of soap and a bucket of water. You know, outside of that, God will provide everything else. And I thought, oh, if I could Amazing. just have that attitude oh. in my life that I'd, just, Ooh, I'd like to be too. clean at the beginning of the day, but God will take care of everything else. <laughs> You know, I met a Baptist preacher once who ran a food kitchen, and I asked him, how do, you, how do you raise money for this? And he said, I don't. That's God's business. I don't get into God's business. So this man simply opened this, this soup kitchen for homeless people with, without any formal, structured fundraising. And his faith was, no— the money will come. And it did. Hmm. Just the witness of him doing what he was doing brought forth donations. One of the most amazing uh, examples of a trusting steward I've ever witnessed in my life and in my priesthood. So let's talk about this. You know, we're talking about examples. How about for us changing that mindset you know how do, how do you how do you get away from everything is mine because as i mentioned before i think it's very natural for us to have that mindset that outlook that attitude you know my paycheck was just deposited i need to take care of my car you know get it in for an oil change or you know i just spilled spaghetti on my shirt so i i might need to buy a new shirt for work uh, how do we get away from mine? It's mine. I own this. And have that kind of reordered outlook to view everything in our lives as being gifts, being blessings given to us from God. I think it's very important for faithful Catholics to decide what percentage of their income they plan to give to the church or to a charity or to some great cause, uh, you know, for married couples, for single people to make that decision. This percentage of my income is set aside, dedicated to the Lord, to the Lord's work. And whatever comes, this belongs to him. And that will be the first gift. The temptation, of course, is to say, oh, let me pay my bills first. Actually, it's, it should be, let me give my gift to the Lord first. That takes a lot of discipline. Uh, as you were talking about your sister teaching people how to be disciplined financially, 
It seems that when we discipline ourselves spiritually, the financial discipline follows. That's one thing I've noticed about uh, tithing, about you know giving back to God, to His church, to His people. Well, and giving to God's work, you know, I, I think there's two things that happen here when we make that financial contribution. And of course, we can give back to God in other ways, and we should give back to God in other ways. But donating financially to our parish, first of all, it makes sure our parish stays open. You know, if we're going to have a building where we can go to Mass, we can go to confession, we can have weddings, have funerals, provide religious education, uh, you know, upkeep on the facility along with staff, all these things need to be provided for. But then I think that second part, it it really comes back to ourselves, you know, that it, the more that you give, and whether that is financial gifts or other ways, you know, maybe volunteering your time, um, helping... Which is a great way to give to your parish, yeah, by the way. absolutely. To volunteer your time is a great gift. And, but th- those, those make it to where we're not so attached to the things that we might value initially, that we aren't saying, you know, again, this is my money or this is my time. No, it's God's money and it's God's time that he has given to me. And how can I, how does he want me to use that for his kingdom? I think it, it transforms our look at the material world into something more profound, something deeper, something lasting, because it it puts this spiritual cloak over it. And then we begin to see the goods of the world differently, not something to simply be used up, consumed, but rather something that can be used for good. You mentioned if we are going to have that stewardship mindset, to look at things as truly being given to us from God, that we should come up with a percentage that we, from the beginning, right at the outset, don't pay our bills first, give back to God first. In the Old Testament, we have the concept of tithing, and you know this goes all the way back to Abraham um, in the book of Genesis. He's just saved some some of his relatives from being captured by the king of Sodom, and yeah, right after lot, right, right, and then right after his victory of fighting and saving relatives, then there's this king Melchizedek that comes on the scene. We're told he's the king of Salem. He's a priest of God, and he shows up on the scene with bread and wine, and then pronounces a blessing upon Abram. Abram at that point, not yet Abraham. And then it says Abram gives Melchizedek a tenth of everything he had. So that's where we get this concept of tithing. Uh, but there's a lot that's happening here in this. And so maybe we can talk for a moment about that 10% that originally, you know, we get from the Old Testament as a tithe. And is that binding for us in the new covenant under Christ? But then also, maybe you can talk about this mysterious king who's showing up as a priest with bread and wine, which, you know, what does that sound like? Well, it sounds, sounds very familiar. Exactly. Right, right. 
a great foreshadowing of the gift of Eucharist, probably a Hittite, and it seems that the Hittite priest kings would offer bread and wine, but in, you know, the way Christians came to view the Old Testament, Melchizedek is a foreshadowing of, of the priesthood, and this sacrifice is a foreshadowing of of Eucharist, and the gift that Abram gives is a foreshadowing of the the gift of of our lives, of the best of our lives, given back to God, a recognition that all life flows from God, and it is only right and fitting and natural that we that we offer it back to Him. That's a that's another beautiful biblical image. Yeah, you're right on point with that. Well, so let's talk about that percentage too, that 10%, that tithe that we see established there from Abram giving to Melchizedek. Uh, you know, that that's something that I don't think is talked about very much. I've, I don't know if I've ever heard it in a, a homily um, it might have been talked about in some other parish setting, you know, some other group or gathering, but um, I don't hear that very much. 10% has always been kind of from an Old Testament standpoint, that standard of what you give to God. Is that something that we should still have as an understanding, as a Christian people? It, you know, Or I, I know there's also this kind of idea of, well, if I give 10% to God, then I can still have this concept, the other 90% is mine, rather than having that true stewardship attitude. What are your thoughts on that tithe, that 10%? I tell people that it's a very personal decision, and I hate to crowd it when people are praying about that. Personally, when I became a priest, I made the commitment to tithe 10%. I'm a diocesan priest. I am paid a salary. I may own things. So for me, the 10% was very important because I thought, if I'm going to have this life in which I'm asking people to give, and if I don't give myself, I will be a, you know, a, a hollow man, or as Paul might say, a, just a noisy gong. So personally, I do the 10%. But I tell folks, Look, if you do 5%, that's going to be about five times more than the average American Catholic. The average American Catholic will tithe about 1% of their income to church and church-related charities. Maybe, maybe a little more than 1%, but that's about where it, where it stands. The most generous uh, folks out there, according to studies, Jewish people, African-American Christians, those two groups tithe more of their income than any other faith group, or at least some studies have indicated that. So, I mean, if we could get people to, to get to 5%, that's a great progress in their spiritual life. Mm. 
Father Jim Goins, our spiritual director here on The Inner Life, as we're talking about being good stewards of all that God gives to us, also taking your questions, your calls at 888-914-9149. What has helped you to have that trust in God and offer back to him? Maybe stretch you a little in giving back to his work. And how has God provided for you, taken care of you because of your faithfulness, because of your generosity? Maybe it's something you want to do and you're a little scared to take that first step. You'd like some advice, some encouragement from Father Jim. You can call and speak with him, 888-914-9149, Father Wes is calling in from Minnesota. Wes, welcome to The Inner Life. You're on the air with Father Jim. Hey, thank you. Good to be here. Um, I had a quick question. So I've always, I'm a convert to the faith, and I've always, you know, kind of taken it seriously of putting God before anything else. So my question for you, just to get your take on it, is spiritually, when we think about tithing, should it be um, considering our pre-tax income, so giving to God the best first, and then considering, like, rendering unto Caesar, paying taxes, you know, what have you after— I think it's tempting to look at our take-home pay, but yeah, I don't know. That's kind of my question. What do you think about that? Again, I would say that's a personal decision. I let people come to their own conclusion about that. I do it, you know, pre, pre-tax income. That's the way I do it. But maybe I'm a bit too scrupulous. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I think that if the heart is there, if the... If the person's heart is there, the Lord will honor the gift, yeah. whether it's pre-tax, post-tax. You know, the the Lord will honor the gift, and you know, follow your conscience. Let the Holy Spirit be your guide. Yeah. For me, it's it's pre-tax income. You know, uh, I remember Wes asking my mom this question one time too, and I said, "Yeah, so do you." do you make your tithe based on your gross income or on your net income? And she said, oh, well, in the way that moms can make you feel a little guilty, uh, she said, well, do you want to be blessed on the gross or do you want to be blessed on the net? (laughs) And I just, yeah, I know. I just walked, okay, thanks, mom. That's great. Yeah. Uh, again, the phone number, if you'd like to talk with Father Jim Goins, 888-914-9149, We need to take one more quick pause here in the program, but we'll be back with more with Father Jim Goins in just a moment. This is Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. We receive hundreds of your phone calls every day, all thanks to the Catholic Order of Foresters studio line. Our sponsor offers flexible life insurance and annuities. Visit relevantradio.com slash Forrester today, an Illinois life insurance society not available in all states. Thanks for being here with us today on The Inner Life. Hi, I'm Josh Raymond. Today, our spiritual director is Father Jim Goins. He is pastor of St. Eugene's Parish in Oklahoma City, talking about stewardship today, how we look at everything that we have in our lives as being a gift from God, and how we use that then for God's kingdom, for God's glory. How do you do that in your life? 
or maybe that's a difficulty for you. It's something that you really have been struggling with and you'd like to talk with Father Jim. The phone number here, 888-914-9149, Father, let's go to the phones. John is listening in Phoenix, Arizona. John, welcome to The Inner Life. Glad to have you here on the air. Thank you. I uh, just wanted to share an example of God blessing you when you do uh, trust him. I had, uh, in my single days, uh, saw my accountant and wasn't able to deduct uh, all my charitable giving. And I uh, just didn't reach the threshold. So I went home, looked at it, and realized if I had just tithed 10%, I would have been able to deduct it. And so ever since then, I have, and my wife and I do now, and um, we've always been blessed by doing that. Never you know, missed a mortgage payment or a tuition payment for the kids, for private school or food. You know, the saying that you can't outgive God, I think, uh, is so true. So I just want to encourage people. It was hard for me to do. I didn't know how I was going to do it. Um, but I, I've never lacked uh, by first being generous. That's a That's a great testimony. And, you know, anything that is worth doing will be difficult. And sacrifice is inherently difficult. And if it weren't difficult, it would not be something great. And I, I agree with you that you really can't outgive God. If you learn to be disciplined financially and spiritually, you're going to be taken care of. You, you might not be the richest man in Phoenix, but you're going to be taken care of. You're going to be fine. That's a that's a great testimony. Thank you. Yeah, John, thanks for the call. You know, one of the other things that might be good to point out too here is we we have that moment where Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness. And he says, you know, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He responds to Satan as he's being tempted, but there actually is an area where God tells us to test him. And this is in the prophet Malachi, he makes this really strong statement. God tells Israel that they're robbing from him by not giving their tithes, not giving their other contributions. And so Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, God tells the people, he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And then God makes this bold proclamation. He says, put me to the test and see if I do not open the floodgates of heaven for you and pour down upon you blessing without measure. And you know, the, we are given permission by God himself in this one area of being generous, mm-hmm. of tithing, of contribution, where we really can test God's faithfulness, his providence, uh, in giving our tithes to him, to the church. Well, that's a powerful scripture. That's a wonderful example. That's great. Great scripture today, Josh. Yeah, well, <laughs> as as I had one uh, one professor in college, uh, this was my Greek professor, and he said, you know, there's gold in them hills, and I always remember that, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that line. That's He'd say it every once in a while. Um, Father, let's go back to the phones. Marianne listening in Chicago. Marianne, welcome to The Inner Life. You're on the air with Father Jim. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Um, I was just wondering how God views um, tithing that's not monetary and it's in exchange for a work. So, for, 
for what I do. Like I wouldn't do it for, say, catechetical teaching, which I do. But I do do ultrasounds in a crisis pregnancy center. I've saved them thousands of dollars over the years. So I've always kind of, I didn't sit down with pen and paper, but I just always kind of considered it as part of my my annual effort because I could have made more money, you know, working uh, for somebody that's going to pay me. <laughs> um, and I could have tithed off of that. So that's why my question. Oh, absolutely. That's a great way to tithe, to give your your talents, your gifts, to put that at the disposal of people who need them and not to charge for them. Absolutely. The Lord will honor that gift. Absolutely. Yeah, good question. And many people, you know, in parish life, I tell them, look, if you don't feel you can give a lot financially, hey, give me a little bit of your time. Or what is it that you do well? What is it that you can do that we need? If you could share that with us, that that's tithing. Absolutely. Well, you know, another thing, just kind of thinking of what Marianne is asking, thinking of what John just shared, you know, that it, it was difficult, but he decided to, yeah, we're going to try and make that, that regular donation to our parish. However you donate, um, you know, going back to maybe that percentage that you were talking about, maybe it really would be something that's impossible for you right now to start immediately at giving 10%. Um, you know, I, I know a couple who they started giving a percentage and they said, okay, we made it that first year giving to the church that much. And so they bumped it up 1% the next year and they bumped it up another percent. Eventually, I think they got up to like 12 or 13% that they were giving back to the church because every year they would give another percent of what they were earning. And they found, you know what? We, we can do this. This is manageable. And so that might be a good option for somebody, too. You know, you can, you can look at different ways. And I think that goes back to what you were saying, Father. It really kind of is this personal decision. The most important thing right. is that we're giving to the work of God. Right. And I don't advise people to just jump right out there and promise 10% if they do not have the financial discipline yet. You know, it, it comes in time. And giving a bit more every year, that's a great way to stretch and to, you know, train yourself bit by bit to be more disciplined with your money. Uh, Father, you know, as Marianne was talking there, too, about volunteering, uh, I think that goes back to it's not just our money that we are being those stewards. It's every part of ourselves, everything that God has gifted yes. us with, you know, yeah. whether that is in our relationships with our family and the way that we interact with them, recognizing that, you know, our spouse or our children or our siblings or our parents, they've been given to us by God. We are the caretakers of them in that specific relationship that we have with them. But then there's there's so much that that even opens the door to understanding, you know, how we're not just stewards of the immediate things, but even, you know, how we can be stewards of the world that we inhabit, you know, the, our environment, that we can, we can look at the world around us and say, God has given this world to us as a gift. You know, uh, Pope Francis talks about this in his encyclical Laudato Si. I think that's one of the great challenges for the Church in our day and age, 
is to begin to see stewardship in the most ancient of insights, uh, ways to look at it, you know, Adam and Eve given the Garden of Eden to take care of. The earth has been given to humanity for us to take care of it and not to, not to use it up, not to consume it, but to tend it, you know, like that garden. And I think our Pope, I think Pope Francis is on target with challenging the Church to look at the world in a different way, look at the environment in a different way. And, you know, that encyclical is actually beautiful. It's not political. It is, it's very biblical. It's, it's a gorgeous meditation on what is our true relationship with this earth? Is it just something we use up, or is it is it a spiritual uh, focus that that we need? And he uses he uses the image of the Eucharist in a beautiful way. You know, the Lord comes to us in things of the earth. He comes to us in in bread, uh, and, and you know, bread and water, flour and water. He comes to us in in wine. He comes to us in these simple elements, gifts of the earth, and he means to divinize us through this. That part of the encyclical, I think, is brilliant and beautiful. I would urge your listeners to take a second look at that encyclical. Mm -hmm. It's worth it. Yeah. Well, and, you know, you can, of course, look up, you know, a copy online. You can buy it at your local uh, Catholic bookstore. Uh, but you can also find all of the encyclicals from, oh, several of the past uh, popes. They're all on the Vatican website. If you just go to Vatican.va, right. right. pull up the English, uh, the English site there at the Vatican website, you can find all the different writings, the, the encyclicals, apostolic exhortations, all of those different things are available there. Uh, Father, we're down to just a couple of minutes here, but in the, the remaining couple minutes, if somebody outside of, you know, what you just mentioned with Dato C, if somebody wants to have, you know, maybe dive into a little bit more as far as reading or maybe looking at the life of a saint who gives a good example of living out stewardship, any recommendations Elizabeth Ann Seton would come to mind immediately, Catherine Drexel also. So here are two saints who, one of them quite wealthy, Drexel came from a rather well-to-do family, but decided to give her wealth to the poorest of the poor in her time. And Elizabeth Ann Seton, who was not as wealthy, but nonetheless was a very sophisticated woman, very well-educated woman, who then gave her talent for education to God to educate young women and to, to help them, to lift them out of poverty. Those would be two examples Beautiful. off the top of my head. Great. Well, Father Jim, we're down to our last 30 seconds here. Before we conclude the hour, can I ask you for a blessing for all of our listeners? Absolutely. May Almighty God gift you with good things in this life. May He bless you abundantly. And may He turn your heart to things of heaven. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 
Thanks, Father Jim. Glad to have you hey, here with you. us. Yeah. Great talking with you. And have a happy rest of the Feast of St. Matthew today. And uh, thank you for listening, being a part of the program. If you joined us late, if you'd like to listen to the opening part of the hour, that podcast of The Inner Life, it'll be posted here shortly at RelevantRadio.com or on the Relevant Radio app. Stay tuned. Mass starts right now here on Relevant Radio.